As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why are you mad? Why are you mad? Why are you, Why mad? you mad? Okay. All right. Hey, Louisa. What's up, man? Hi, Jake. How's it going, man? Oh, shit. I'm just chilling. Like this guy. Okay. Yeah. You know, me too. I don't know. Uh, I got kind of mad. I don't know if you noticed by my tweets. <laughs> uh, I got kind of mad this last quarter. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> <laughs> um, like about a lot of shit. I don't know. I guess like I should ask you how you are, but I just really want to start. No, just go for it. Sure. How are you doing? <laughs> okay. What are you? What's going on? Well, I mean, I think uh, we have obviously been getting mad at some similar shit. Um, there is some other shit that I have gotten mad at that, um, I've also made other people mad about and that I don't necessarily want to say you for sure agree with me on, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's been like a whole lot of, uh, just like shit popping up. Right. And then last week I listened to this podcast, which I will tell you more about in a, in a few, but basically what I'm trying to do is, um, after listening to this podcast, I got really mad <laughs> and it wasn't because of what was on the podcast. It was because of leftist response to the podcast. Okay. Yeah. And I was thinking about it and thinking about it. And Jake, I got so mad that I went back to theory. <laughs> like I went back to reading like theory to be like, yo, am I wrong? Like yeah, to check myself, you know what I mean? Because I obviously believe that the whole point of the practice of theory is that it is not set in stone and that you have to do the work of constantly reassessing your convictions to add new information. Right. Yes. So I fucking went back to the theory and, you know, and I was like reading it real mad. It left this reactions to this podcast and I came away with two conclusions. One is that I am not wrong. (laughs) And the other is that this like rhizome became clear that a lot of the things that I've gotten mad about recently and I've made other people mad about and some things that you've gotten mad about too um, are all kind of the part of this rhizome, okay? Yeah. And what I'm going to try to do is like, I'm trying to frame the rhizome ahead of time so that my intentions in this discussion at least are clear in case I don't necessarily use the right words okay because yeah. we're going to get into some dicey territory for all kinds of people <laughs> um and i mean it's like a lot i have notes for the first time ever because i'm worried i don't want to fuck it up all right oh but, yeah dude <laughs> like normally i have like scribbles and shit but this time i wrote like shit with like points that i don't want to forget okay uh but you know like some of the things that i've been mad about recently have been trads <laughs> breeding uh, the concepts of femininity and masculinity, uh, Ukraine and Palestine, uh, leftists being sex negative or turfy or reactionary towards sex workers and sex work. Uh, all of that stuff, right? And as I was reading theory because of this podcast that made me mad, I figured out, I think, what I'm frustrated by specifically that covers all of these areas of life, Okay breakthrough yeah and you know it's obviously not a complete breakthrough i think it's something i'll continue thinking about and obviously it's not all completely formulated but i think partially uh we're going to cover some 
terminology and theory and thoughts for people who might want to hear it and, I don't know, discuss it and think about it. But it's also, this is me working out my thoughts. It's not really meant to tell anybody what to do <laughs> or to reflect your own feelings back at you. Okay. So bear with me. Like all, the, all of this like preface. Yeah, dude. Sure this, that nothing yeah. bad happens in the, what we're about to do. I understand. No, bad things can and will happen, but <laughs> I want to make my intentions clear, I guess. And that's like the anthropologist. I mean, it's like, I'm going to give you all of the fucking caveats. <laughs> from where this is coming from but specifically yeah specifically i think um what i'm frustrated with is kind of this like people's lack of seeing beyond the immediate goals or the lack of seeing the or or actually them seeing the historical process but only partially right so even leftists are falling into these traps that follow from historical linear historical thinking and from like Christian apocalyptic time thinking, not from the understanding that the historical process makes us, but we also make it. And also it is a permanently ongoing process, right? We agree? Yes. Right. So I don't think any like Marxist or progressive, specifically Marxist, can't disagree with that. If we believe in historical materialism, then it means that we have to, yes, examine the ways that the historical process makes us, but also we need to look at the ways that we make the historical process. And then the third part is never forget that it doesn't stop, right? So there is no like final goal to Marxism other than the liberation of people from every system that oppresses them, period. How that will look has not been set into stone, right? So, um, I would call myself a radical Marxist feminist, right? And I bring it up, I guess, because putting radical and feminist lately together <laughs> is something that is more commonly associated with TERFs or trans exclusionary radical feminists. Well, but the but the, the, rad- the R and the F are the good parts of that. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I want to be clear that this was like a purposeful co-opting by conservative feminists uh, or even like it, like progressive feminists allowed them to do this by calling themselves calling them TERFs because it frames trans exclusionary as being radical in the sense of being progressive or forward or it confuses that in that it could be read as by some people as being progressive or forward thinking instead of being radical because it's like dramatically incorrect <laughs> and really fucking bad, radical, to the edge, exclusionary bad, you know? Yeah. So I think it's important to talk about what radical Marxist feminism means, right? Because I'm seeing leftists, you know, honestly, I think libs, of course, liberals are going to have knee-jerk reactions to radical feminism. Um, but leftists, I, I don't understand why I'm seeing this from you guys. So I think we should just like talk about it, dude. So uh, I think a prediction here. Yeah. Tell me. Sometimes when this sort of stuff happens and I feel this way, what's actually happening is that it's not like leftists you're 
becoming uh you're reacting to specifically it's like a specific subset of online leftists that are overrepresented in social media and if you talk to somebody at a fucking meeting or whatever they're like not like this absolutely and to your point you know the podcast i'll just i'll really quickly tell you because honestly once you're done listening to this um i do recommend that you go listen to it. it is a really good episode but it is a extremely popular successful leftist podcast called uh rev left radio you listen to it i'm sure right jake or no oh i think i listened to the episode you're talking about yeah great okay so um it is a pretty recent episode that is called hold on i freaking wrote it down over here because i made notes uh <laughs> toward a revolutionary feminist feminism a continuum of women's work and it was with a guest named Ty Lee, who I had heard speak before in other things, um, similar, you know, radical feminism ideas. She's a, a musician and an organizer. So like, honestly, more of a real world feminist and activist, you know, than I am, <laughs> you know? And she was on this episode talking about, um, revolutionary feminist theory, transgender liberation politics, Marxist feminism, patriarchal realism, I think, you know, just a bunch of different things, right? And I thought it was like an excellent episode. And then I look at the response to the episode on Twitter and other places, and it's, you know, online leftists basically, quote, tweeting the podcast and responding to the podcast, like promo episode, attacking the podcast for having a turf on okay yeah i just checked and i didn't listen to this one i listened to the one before no it's really good you should listen to it and i will say you know uh again another caveat i wouldn't necessarily frame everything the way that ty did but she's very knowledgeable about theory and i don't think anything that she said comes from a turf point of view period end of story okay so what these responses were, first of all, they were from accounts that wear leftism as a badge, right? That have it all over their profile, that have it in the picture, that all their fucking retweets and everything are about leftist fucking shit. Yeah, if you have emojis in your name, it's yeah, weirdo. It's fucking weird. And then they're like immediately within five minutes of this promo tweet coming up, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe another leftist podcast can't be trusted because they have turfs on spreading turf ideology, blah, blah, blah. And to me, it was like pretty fucking clear that none of the people that were mad at this listened to the fucking episode. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's kind of like partially this thing. And it's funny because in one of the theories that I read, uh, one of the theory books that I read, actually a, a rather new one, um, one of the things they were talking about is uh epistemological deplatforming, which is basically when um, you are told that this person is in, uh, what is it, a, a unreliable narrator, and therefore nothing they say about any subject can be trusted. That's epistemological deplatforming. So essentially, that is what some leftists attempt to do to someone like Ty, who is one of theirs, <laughs> you know, is a leftist and an organizer and an activist. So if you did think that something that she is saying is wrong, then the way to deal with that is to engage with the theory and how it is wrong and how that needs to change in practice, not to epistemologically deplatform an active member of your community. 
Yeah, right? the thing where you're like, this person's bad, and that's the yeah. start of the argument is dumb, but people fall into it all the time. Let's talk about this the other day because, like, uh, yeah. Glenn Greenwald is completely insane, and he didn't used to be. And um, I was scrolling Twitter the other day, and I can't remember what it was, but he, like, you know, 99% of his tweets are these ridiculous meltdowns about reactionary, you know, culture war stuff that isn't real and shit. And he's like, obnoxious. But then he said something about something that was going on in Ukraine. I was like, that's a good fucking point. Like he found, somebody, <laughs> yeah, he found something really interesting. Broke a fucking story, yeah. thing, and I was like, right, right. Wait a minute. This is why I hate him so much because he starts <laughs> sometimes, and then like he bogs himself down with all the horrible stuff. Um, yeah, that's worse than if he was just you know just a right wing idiot. I would never listen to him if he was just a right wing idiot. You know. Yeah, totally. No, and I'm sure some people feel like that about you or about me, right? Like yeah. that they don't like a bunch of what we say, but then sometimes we make sense and they're like, fuck. Well, at least when they're yeah. engaging, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're not exactly. doing the fucking thing you're describing. Exactly. What I'm describing is kind of the opposite because it's like someone who has a lot or mostly good points and you are discrediting on the basis of like a reputation or a political aim, which in this case would be reactionary leftism i guess is what i would call it i don't i fucking don't know dude so uh we'll get more into like the specifics of the podcast but i guess i just maybe this is a defense of that episode i don't think it needs to be defended i think it's good but it's more that i connected a bunch of other things before we even get to the sex work turfy shit or any of that shit right sure, totally. um but let's get back to defining radical marxist feminism right or at least I mean, I think this is a fair definition, but it's how I define it and how I try to practice it, right? Which is that um, I identify that way because I believe in dismantling all the systems that exploit and oppress people, period. And to me, radical and feminist is an important part because Marxist does fail to cover some specific social needs. If we're honest and we do a a real honest critique of Marxism, Marx didn't really account for labor, which cannot be exchanged for value. And Marx, not even Marx, but like no version of socialism has championed the equality of woman without it being associated to her as wife and mother. All right. So even the the Soviet states, everything, they provided equality and redistribution of like social goods and services equally to men and women. But it was all under the framework of we will make women better mothers and better wives as well as better workers. (laughs) You get me? So the category of woman in Marxism was still being discussed as an immutable biological truth. Yeah. Okay. So because of that, I think radical feminism is essential to your Marxism, to your, for your Marxism to be complete. And I think people of all genders should identify as radical Marxist feminists. But that's just my recommendation. So the systems that I believe should be dismantled because they oppress people include not just capitalism, the patriarchy, the nuclear family, organized religion, and the commodification of the people who provide sex and perform sexuality, okay? 
Uh, and of course, you know, asterisks on that last one, we'll get to <laughs> why that has asterisks. Um, so the above, like all of these systems, they're, uh, they're all intertwined, right? They're intertwined systems of exploitation that can't exist without one another, and they're supported by each other. So you cannot be against one and not be against the other. If you are, if you consider yourself radical or revolutionary or Marxist or communist, it is not possible to be anti-capitalism but pro-patriarchy or to be anti-patriarchy but pro the nuclear family. You are not really pursuing the extent of liberation if you only believe that one of these systems needs to come down. Okay. Or and, and huh? down, or yeah, like without exactly. all the others, right? Without all the others, exactly. Um, as a matter of fact, I would say to you, liberals, they manage to do this, and and that is the crux of their hypocrisy and their anti-progressiveness. Is that in their idea of like I'm anti-patriarchy, they reinforce capitalism all the time, right? Yeah. And whenever they're anti-capitalist, they reinforce imperialism. <laughs> and whenever they are anti-imperialism, they reinforce ca- uh, colonialism. <laughs> so yeah. it's like- This weird, the, like single-minded, yeah. one thing at a time this that's infuriating. Cause- Yeah, and if you've ever been like, why, why do we make fun of libs? That's why, right? Yeah. And it's like, you sometimes you point it out to them and they'll even they'll the the power the fucking underlying power of liberalism i think in my opinion is like cynicism because like often they know but they'll just go like yeah, but yeah. All, all you but we can't do, do it yeah exactly you know make pick your battles right pick, no all the battles, battles. Are connected. you can't <laughs> yeah. pick one exactly exactly and, or if you want to frame it that way, it's like if if you want to say only X battle is important, then you are sacrificing the soldiers from battle Y in order to fight battle X. You get yeah. me? Yeah, totally. So, you know, the idea of like wanting women to be equal to men sounds good, right? But if you define that equality as like more women cops and more women small business owners and more women imperialists and uh, more even more women commodifiers, it is not radical and it's ultimately not feminist. It is liberalism, right? Yeah. And um, I guess I'm frustrated by this constant fact that we keep getting stuck on revolt instead of moving through to revolution. And I only even mean it ideologically, which is what then makes me despair for the real revolution, right? Because if ideologically, so many of us are still having a time, a hard time moving from revolt to revolution, we're gonna have a really fucking long time until we can do that in practical and material terms, you know? But I digress and I skip forward. Um, So, Uh, How to define. So like to be revolutionary is not to want to seize the means of production so that you are now in charge of the means of production. To be revolutionary is to want to seize the means of production so that you can destroy the system of production and replace it with a new one that is not exploitive. Right. Otherwise, it is a revolt. A revolution is meant to create conditions under which or, or at least, you know, a uh, Marxist, radical, feminist, progressive one would be one in which we try to create conditions under which no person, worker, uh, child, woman, black person, brown person, or other of any kind can be exploited. 
So in the meantime, towards that goal, which is nebulous, and we don't really know what that looks like, right? We fight for people's rights within the systems that exist because we have to, because that's their reality that affects them right now. But we cannot misunderstand the immediate mitigation as the, the final step of liberation. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, know, right? I know where you're going with this because this, this is like where the sex work argument gets really tricky, right? Exactly. And I think I'm going to try to clarify it for leftists and we'll see if maybe I'm going to offend leftists and sex workers probably, but like come from a good place, guys. Hear me out. <laughs> so I'm like, my best friends are sex workers. No, I'm just kidding. Listen. Um, so uh, where was I? Right. So uh, yeah, so like anytime that we make ground within capitalism or within patriarchy, that's good because it alleviates the material conditions of people who live within material within patriarchy or capitalism. But it is not the goal in and of itself, right? That's making girl bosses and girl fucking uh, small business owners and girl secretaries of war or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Um, so what we all have to understand, I think, is that the concept woman and the material reality that is woman is a social socially created category. Okay. So the problem, so I'm going to work my way from feminism to like modern sex work stuff. Right. A problem that we've had is that since the inception of feminism, what it was fighting to do was it was, it considered its urgency to be defining the class of woman, right. I'm putting it in quotes and achieving equality on the basis of the concept of woman, right? So it was like, we need to shed light on this category of human that exists and that exists without certain rights, et cetera. And, or I should say, but that is not the end goal if you are a revolutionary Marxist feminist, right? The actual goal is to abolish a world in which any subject is defined through their relationship to a man, period. <laughs> that is radical feminism. You understand me? So when you say we want to abolish a world in which any person's relationship, uh, any person's identity is no longer defined on their relationship to a man, that includes trans women. It includes intersex people. It includes men. Because if we abolish the category of women, which only exists in opposition and in the shadow of the category of men, then that also abolishes men. <laughs> you understand me? And then all the problems of fucking uh, internalized patriarchy and misogyny go away. So revolt or like feminism and the battle for uh, defining the socially created and material reality of, the, of woman was a very important first step, is still a very important first step in the ultimate goal of eradicating patriarchy, which is necessarily held up by the idea that gender is a biological immovable truth, okay? So using, I guess, feminism as an example, right? If we understand that revolt is the first step towards revolution, and that the first step in revolt is always to take the labels and the chains of your oppressor and make them your own, then we must understand 
that we don't just want to stop at wearing the chains that our oppressor created for us just because we chose to wear them this time. We want to move past the chains and destroy the labels and the limits of that society, right? And I connect this I connected this to like a lot of things that I was really getting mad about. Like a long time ago, I got mad about gay marriage. <laughs> and the thing is, gay marriage is subversive as a part of the ultimate goal of abolishing marriage. <laughs> Revolt, what gay not revolution. I see what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And it is important. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter or that it is not important or it wasn't necessary or that it is of the past. No, it is just not the ultimate goal if you consider yourself to be a radical Marxist feminist who believes in worldwide liberation, right? Yeah, no, it's so frustrating to see mm-hmm. consider that. I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak for people like within the gay community about that or whatever, but like at least liberal straight people outside of it that are like, we did it, you know, they're just yeah. like us now. It's like, well, I don't want to be like us. <laughs> this yeah. is the fucking goal. There's a lot of problems here. Yeah, um, dude, no, and it's just um, you might maybe had like a nice fun party and no, and there's also like the material reality of the benefits that marriage give you, right? All the equal rights that you would have that straight couples have and benefits and shit. Right, that so, was, what was good about the fight for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, so it is a mitigation under the current systems, but ultimately the institution of marriage is part and parcel of capitalism, of commodifying people who are not men, of tying the idea of uh, property and finance to intimacy and sex, it's fucking bad. <laughs> Marriage is bad. And I know that you like maybe love your husband, but I need you to understand that you did not need, you ultimately do not need the state or a church to be involved in your interpersonal relationships, except for the fact that we live in a world where our hegemony is created by church and state. That's the only reason that it matters and that they're involved. Um, but there's more prison reform, right? Liberals are always like, I don't get why you don't just want to get why isn't pre- prison reform good? And it's like, here's the thing. You should vote. If there's no fucking real, true progressive candidates, you should vote for the candidates that want prison reform. Why? Because in the meantime, it is important to alleviate the material reality of prisoners who are suffering injustices under this carceral system, Right. But that doesn't mean we stop at like, oh, yay, they get more soap or like whatever the fuck. Right. Or they got books back or whatever. It has to be a mitigating step on the way to abolishing prisons and the entire prison system. Yeah. And like often that uh, maintain like maintenance of the situation serves as a way to keep the situation intact because it exactly keeps the whole thing from reaching like a contradictory boiling point. And anything actually yeah. revolutionary happening. So it's like right. really fucking frustrating the situation that politicians put you into that because they know like that's why they're like that, you know? Totally. And it also um, creates more layers of like bureaucracy that then affect other people's material reality. So, for example, then we get into like, well, if you shut down all the prisons, then where are all these people in upstate New York going to work? And it's like, okay, but those jobs didn't exist before there were prisons, right? (laughs) So we don't have to keep a horrible system around to keep some other people employed or whatever the fuck. So it's like the every way that we create more bureaucracy to supposedly reform or fix an existing oppressive system, it just entrenches that system deeper into our society and into our fucking belief that it is immutable. 
unshakable and in, unchangeable and like will exist forever. Um, you know, I, I've had people like be like, you know, why are you mad about the Ukraine stuff and like retweeting Palestine shit right now and whatever? And it's like, dude, again, I am not saying that people under siege in a country by another country like shouldn't get help and shouldn't whatever the fuck. I'm not going to get into Ukraine and Russia shit, but I will tell you this. Uh, the level of global in intervention to help Ukraine, what it has shown us today is that it has been possible all along to intervene and help Palestine. Yeah, absolutely. And every single nation has chosen not to. Yeah. Period. That's all like, that's it. So same thing with COVID racist. Yeah. They're just racist. Uh, COVID COVID happened. And then like as clumsy and shitty as like the vaccine rollout was and the testing and all of that shit was the fact that this country was able to like roll out free testing and roll out like free vaccines and fucking put up advertising about it and do some kind of outreach to get people who don't have internet <laughs> to get vaccinated and all this shit tells us what? Uh, universal healthcare is absolutely practical and possible. You could absolutely give insulin away for free and tell pharmaceutical companies they can't charge for X and they can't, but they don't. They just choose yeah. not to, right? Yeah. Um, you remember when I, Jeff Zaki oh, yeah. was saying, like, oh, we're not going to, we can't send you tests. Yes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then Omicron happened like a week later and they mm -hmm. were like, okay, we're going to send the tests out. And you go, you were you could have done this before, but absolutely. But the system is shaped in a way where you maintain like this that like they keep the fucking border of what's yeah. possible in a certain state as a way of maintaining like the you know, Yo, when when testing first started. I don't know if you remember, at least in New York, uh, what first started happening was like uh, you could go to like state or federal sites and that would be free. But if you went to like a private site they would charge your insurance or charge you for the visit, even if the vaccine was free. And then the government had to be like, no, you can't do that. You have to refund everybody their money. So insurance companies and like city MDs and shit had to give everybody their money back for going to get the vaccine or going to get a test. So obviously you could have done this all along. Like right. you could tell them <laughs> at any point that you can't send people to jail for medical debt and you have been letting them send people to jail for medical debt. Get yeah. the fuck out of here. Um, here's, here's one that's controversial for me and you because we don't love small business owners, but, uh, we do need to protect, uh, small business owners rights and like care about that shit. Right. Because under capitalism, it is one of the few and slight, not super effective ways that immigrants and poor people achieve some sort of financial stability, some kind of inheritable wealth, um, and that some people do achieve owning their own labor, right? The problem then becomes that they become oppressors of other people and, and abusers of their labor. So we have a lot of problems with small business owners. But or like, but think of, for example, like caring about um, equity in how small business loans or sm small business aid is distributed. That matters and it changes the reality for black people, for poor people, for immigrants who want to come here and open a business or who, you know, like uh, want to raise a family on owning a small business in their neighborhood or whatever it may be. 
yes, small business ownership is not the ultimate goal. It's not going to fix anything in terms of changing capitalism, but it needs to be seen as a way of evening the current playing board for people. It's a mitigating step, right? Totally. I get it. You know, I don't love it. I would like to convince those potential small business owners that they shouldn't be that. But I also don't have an answer for them as to how to raise a family under capitalism (laughs) in any other way. Yeah. Go back and forth about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then, you know, let's get a little bit into sex workers, not full on into it. But I, I put sex workers in this category because or in this list of examples, because protecting sex workers is urgently necessary for a bunch of reasons, not only because they are people who are vulnerable and actually in danger all the time, not just from like regular predators, but also the government (laughs) and police and like fucking everyone. Um, But also because it is part of the ultimate goal of eliminating the exploitation of humans, right? It is a step towards removing that middleman who abuses of you as a worker, right? And we'll get into this in a, in a second, a little bit more. So nobody freak out. I'm going to get into it. But uh, just to close up the feminism thing, you know, like I just want to like reiterate the feminism was or is the defense of both the concept and the material reality of woman, right? In quotes. But it is only a step towards abolishing the class of woman entirely. So in this sense, ooh, this is another like red flag one. But again, hold on <laughs> to your horses. <laughs> Uh, trans femininity then is subversive as a part of the ultimate goal of abolishing gender, but it is not the goal in and of itself. Okay. Mm, here I'd like to note, so this is when the terminology conversation was going to get into it, that the difference here from what I'm saying than from what turfs say, right, which I think is what people maybe misunderstand about the things Ty is saying is that TERFs argue for the essential immovability of the concept and the material reality that makes up woman, okay? So they therefore insist trans women are not women, right? Because they are stuck in this idea that like the end goal was to define the category woman as this solid immovable thing that was defined in 1907 or whatever the fuck, And they were the ones that got the vote and they were the ones that got to fucking break the glass ceiling or whatever the fuck. So that is the category woman forever. Okay. Yeah. They are not understanding that. Thank you so much for all the work that you did, because it was extremely essential that you establish women as a class who live a different material reality and deserve rights. But the next step after that, is dissolving and abolishing the concept of women so that we can get on to the point of all people, right? And this is not an all lives matter shit, hear me out. (laughs) This is in the sense that it is not possible, like TERFs, you're not really radical because you are not understanding, A, the fact that the goal was never to define and like put the category of woman in a museum and B, not you're not understanding, I guess, in the same way that I think we modern feminists should thank those like old feminists. <laughs> Sorry, Turfs, I'm going to call you old feminists. <laughs> we should t- thank those old feminists because they did a lot of the important work of defining the category of woman. Yeah. 
Yeah. But they are not seeing that trans women, trans people in general, are doing the next level of work for us. They are on the front lines of destroying the immutability of the categories of men and women because they are going out there every day, regardless of what anybody thinks, and living their lives differently than the expectation of man and woman was fucking even five years ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago. Right. So I'm trying to, I guess, clumsily clarify that it is possible to believe in the in in like wanting to abolish gender without being anti-trans. And it is possible to believe yourself to be a feminist while being anti-trans, but then you are not a progressive Marxist radical modern feminist. You're a fucking old lady who is stuck <laughs> in the 1970s idea of what a woman is supposed to be, right? Yeah. It's kind of like uh, a, a separate but equal ideology or something. It's yeah, like, um, exactly. When white supremacists are like very into defining different races so that mm-hmm. and they're like, I'm not against anyone. I just think that they should all be, you know, in these little different. Separate, yeah. Separate different little categories. Like yeah. Like, it's not the end goal of, uh, well, I don't know what that fucking person's end goal is. Probably something really fucked up. But like the end goal of like racial justice is like, yeah. um, you know, is to um, obliterate those categories. Yeah. Like they're bad yeah. C- categories exist for the purpose of subjugation and shit. So exactly. And goals to the reason that whiteness is seen as like default or non-race or, you know, like no, no color is precisely because whiteness didn't have to be defined or created. It is a category that exists in opposition to every other category of other, because it means they are the ones exempt from all of these other categorizations. Yeah. And like another point, important part about this is like, you know, to reiterate something you just said, like, this is not all lives matter speak because I'm not saying you reach the end goal of equality by simply not acknowledging all of the right. conflicts and borders and parameters of this thing. The goal is to solve all of those conflicts that create the differences in parameters. And eventually, you know, as uh, Lennon put it, everything withers away. Right. Absolutely. And I would say, you know, like, I guess to even put a finer point on that, it's like, I am saying a critique to both sides, which is like, to the left, to progressives, to Marxists of any kind, if you've ever had even the slightest anti-trans thought, A, like don't be super mad at yourself because that is literally a thousand years of conditioning in your brain, right? But B, you need to fight that conditioning and understand that you need to be grateful and supportive of trans people because they are, dude, I I like read some theory and I watched some shit today where people keep using the term like black bodies and brown bodies. And I got in trouble for that shit earlier, but it's like an academic thing because it's important for you to understand that when we say some X bodies, we are referring to the material reality. We're referring to the lived reality, not to the social category of something. So when I say trans people are putting their bodies on the line every day, to destroy categories that oppress all of us, all of us that we have chosen to not fight or to not see, or it's easier to go along with or be depressed about or whatever. And they have bravely fucking stepped out every single day to fucking undo it all for themselves, but also for all of us. 
And then the other side of that is what I would say, I guess, to trans comrades, leftist, progressive people is I would urge you to not be the small business owner and not be, you know, the the liberal feminist and understand that your expression of femininity or masculinity or a genderism, I don't know how you say that, um, is absolutely subversive and a revolt from the system that exists. But for your own self-realization, I don't think it should be the ultimate goal for you in and of itself, because you are more than a socially defined category of how to look or behave or think. Yeah. So, yeah, let's get into sex work now that I already put my foot in the trans situation thing. (laughs) But uh, I think the complication with sex work for leftists is really actually pretty simple, Jake, and it's really tripping a lot of us up. And I think it's that a lot of us leftists are having, uh, like we're thinking that it's contradictory. We're having a problem with the contradiction of like, we are pro-workers, right? So of course that means we are pro-sex workers, we protect sex workers' rights, we are pro-everything sex worker. So then that seems contradictory to being anti-sex industry, okay? Yeah. But actually, this is an example. I'm stealing this from Rev Left. But uh, one of the things they said was like, you know, it's weird. If I criticized Amazon, nobody would be like, are you anti-Amazon workers? Is that why you're saying that? Right. No, right? But when you criticize the sex industry, leftists immediately go to your anti-sex worker, your sex negative. <laughs> you're like, you know, they become, they shut down immediately. So this is one of these things where I'm saying you are not recognizing that the sex industry is also a capitalist industry. It is also an industry that needs to go. I'm not a sex industry abolitionist any more than I'm a small business abolitionist because I understand that they are mitigating steps on how to improve your material reality currently under the current system. That does not mean that I think small business ownership is the ultimate goal, nor do I think a self-owned sex worker is the ultimate goal. Because the reality is, if we didn't exist in capitalism, right? So, you know, you mentioned the these leftists who are mostly online, who are very loud and they represent a particular small segment. I think this is also the case with some sex workers, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't even have to frame it that way because it's a fact. The majority of sex workers in the world are survival sex workers, uh, sex workers who, wherever they live in the world, do not have a economic safety net or services of any kind. And therefore, they turn to sex work as a means of survival. And those are not the same. They are not living the same material reality as upper, like middle, upper, upper, middle, middle class, whatever, uh, white online sex workers who, let's say, uh, are choosing sex work because they enjoy it or because they find it empowering. They have rich families in many cases. They have other skills and degrees. They could get a job that pays like regular people. You know, like, yeah, there's like a such thing as elective sex work. And when you talk to I've like a lot of friends that do this sort of thing, yeah. when you talk to them about it, they're usually like the goal here is autonomy and stuff, right? Like, you know, it's it, it kind of lives in this this revolt space you're talking about. I think, yeah, 
there's uh people get really kind of tripped up about this and get their circuits fried because exactly that's a confusing space especially if you're talking in certain terms of marxism because it's like that's good but it's not the ultimate goal and it also is in this space you're talking about where for these people it's it's like the biggest goal in their life but but you can't stop there as an individual at least ideology wise because then you're just yeah liberal or even practice yeah then you're just liberal but then also you know um a lot of times when you see people who are like pro-sex work, okay, let's clarify the difference between being pro-sex worker and pro-sex work. And so when you see a lot of people, like people who are like online pro-sex work, and they like make pins about being like a girl boss, you know, sex worker, and they like, yeah, uh, they are like, Dude, I totally forgot what I was going to say. I got distracted. Can I interject but, something? Um, huh? Yeah, go for it. A lot of sex, a lot of those elective sex workers you talk about, mm-hmm. kind of veer into libertarian politics for the same reason that, like, yeah. um, small business owners do. Small business owners, and then like yep. another thing I think about a lot is bartenders because there's this thing in bartending where, like, uh, you know, when I did bartending work, like, um, there's this weird contradiction where everyone actually kind of likes the fact that you're individualized because if you get good shifts, you can make $500 a night and stuff like that in cash. But the industry actually, like if you look at it on a macro level, it's sort of exploitive in the fact that you've got these people that like are the whales at the top of the bartending shifts who make yeah. all the money. And then everyone else is trying to get those jobs. So they're extra. And the business good. stays open because of the oppression of those people who don't get the good shifts. Yeah. And the thing is, um, if you, it took me a long time to realize this, yeah. it's very counterintuitive when you're doing that work, but actually the world would be a better place if uh, tip work was abolished. And totally, we just got paid according to the labor we're doing. It's really weird because it would fuck up the job in a lot of ways. But the thing is, like the thing where you're like, I'm a gunslinger, I'm an individualized person, and I get to take to fucking make you know cash and run off with the bag or whatever is ultimately not revolutionary. It's just like survival, just the way like sex work kind of is in this way, and that's why. But th- that's libertarian politics. It's like, oh, yeah. a rising tide lifts all boats. Maybe everyone can do this. And then, you know, all those people that are trying to make it to the top will also get those jobs and yada, yada, yada. But in reality, it's like, you know, capitalism works because it, the person doing well is living off of the backs of all the people on the bottom of the pyramid and stuff. And so ultimately, big, big picture, it's bad. But sh- small picture, I understand electric it's sex good. work. Yeah. Same way I understand having done bartending to yeah. survive, you know, living in a city, I couldn't uh, fucking survive it. And, stuff like that. and you know what? This goes to the rhizome that we're, I think, always kind of hinting at, which is that, like, the answer is not hyper-individualism and it is not hyper-communism. It is understanding that we exist in a world where the individual cat is out of the bag. You know, you cannot put individualism back in the bag and make us all be communists who only care about the greater good. But you also cannot be hyper-individualists who only care about yourself. It's not ultimately leaving anything for you or your children or anything. Like, it's just a fucking, um, a, a pile of burning out leaves. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, it's going to run out. Um, yeah. So, like, uh, some of these people got mad, I guess, specifically because Ty, the person on Rev Left, identifies as a sex work abolitionist. Right. And 
I don't, like I said, because I also don't identify as a small business abolitionist, but because I consider myself a capitalism abolitionist, every type of business (laughs) falls under that fucking umbrella. Do you understand me? Every type. I don't care if it's like you sell your prints or you sell your paintings or you sell your jokes or you sell your dick. It, I believe all commerce should disappear. And we should telling fucking comedians is like, I am a comedian and I don't think this should be a job, but it's for the overarching reason of like, none of this shit should be happening at all. Exactly. (laughs) Well, because the same thing as artists, if you didn't have to do work for paying rent and for fucking subsisting and taking care of your family and medical bills and all this shit, then that would leave all of your time free. Look, I just was reading this book about, uh, it's called like uh, why women have better sex under socialism, but it's really just like an economic treaties on like uh, what we could learn from the Soviet States on how world, the world was better for women. Right. Yeah. And there were two interesting facts I want to share from you from that book for you. And one is that a survey of like a bunch of fucking Soviet countries found that like, uh, the majority of women in every single <laughs> formerly Soviet country uh, report that they had better lives under the Soviet Union. Mm. In every single one of those countries, men report that they had better lives after the Soviet Union. Yeah. Okay? And this is specifically because the fact that Soviet nations distributed social goods and services equally between men and women made it so that women no longer or anybody no longer had to factor in finance and survival into their interpersonal and sexual and intimate relations. All right. Yeah. So it actually made women freer because they didn't have to bend to like, I must keep a man and I must get a husband and I have to, you know? Yeah. And the second interesting is like, You know, because that's like, yeah, that's what you wrote about. Exactly. And then the second interesting fact is like (laughs) modern uh, recent take, which is uh, you remember buddies, the uh, what do you call them? (sighs) Those guys that write books about how to date, get women dating pickup Pickup artists. artists. There we go. So there was like a European. Yeah. Pickup artist. There was a European uh, pickup artist a few years ago. If you care about the name, read the book. Uh, But he basically wrote a book about how to pick up women in like all the hot Europe or whatever. And then he wrote a whole chat how you should not go to Denmark. Okay. Because none of these tips work on women in Denmark. Like women in Denmark are absolutely immune. (laughs) Yeah. Because they are not financially precarious or socially precarious. So what a man's job is or like this like the peacocking and showing off your money none of that means shit because we don't want i don't need your money i need you to be charming and funny and interesting and kind and listen to me (laughs) you know and that changes the interactions between no longer having to account for how will i pay for raising children or for having this type of life or you know and in the past it was like for having a credit card or owning property or anything (laughs) right um So back to the sex work abolitionist thing, right? That made everybody mad. Uh, You know, I I just would like to clarify again with this vocabulary kind of conversation, which is, you know, being a sex work abolitionist, I do not think is equal to being anti-sex workers. Like I said, Uh, I think it is about being anti 
anti-sex industry. Uh, protecting sex workers is obviously essential to protecting women and children and obviously trans people, but I think women include trans people. Um, but the ultimate goal of protecting sex, sex workers is supposed to be, I think, to dismantle the industries that abuse them and the systems that cause a person to think that self-commodification is empowering. It is only empowering under the system of capitalism, but you need to understand that the system of capitalism humiliates and oppresses all of us. So the best that you're doing is rising to the top of like the pigs, you know what I mean? But it's not like helping you. And it's the same thing as being a small businesswoman or a fucking prison guard or fucking state, what is it? Whatever Kamala is. I don't know. Vice president or whatever the fuck. Did you see that shit where she, whatever, walked across the bridge, whatever. I'm not going <laughs> to oh, even didn't. get into shit always, uh, <laughs> with her, but fucking cop. you didn't. Ugh. God, well, she walked across the fucking Selma Bridge or whatever. And then there was like a bunch of black activists. They were just like, I cannot believe that they're celebrating this anniversary of liberation from police oppression and shit by having a former cop lead the march across the fucking bridge. And so this is actually specific to what we're talking about right now, because it's like a thing that I think liberals would be like, oh, but Kamala, what a figure. She's the first black woman uh not whatever fucking vice president but she also got there through fucking being a cop dude like ah, gross um so i don't know i guess like i gotta say like believing or it's not even believing like recognizing that sex work industries not sex workers sex work industries produce and reproduce abuse uh and misogyny and rape in addition to commodifying human bodies, that doesn't make you sex negative. What makes you sex negative is wanting to believe that anybody's body should be regulated by anyone else. So that includes whether it is a pimp telling you how your body should be used or a trad fucking person telling you that, oh, you shouldn't be fucking a bunch of people unless you love them or whatever the fuck. And what is kind of crazy to me is that like, in the same way we talk about like com- comedians, you know, like if we achieve this world where capitalism is eliminated and you don't have to look at your jokes as a way to pay rent, that doesn't mean the motivation for making jokes is taken away. You can still now freely go out and make jokes all the time, whenever you fucking want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same thing with sex. If you truly love it and it is not a survival thing and you fucking love performing sex and doing sex and all of that stuff. If you are liberated from having this be a survival need or capitalist need, you can still go fuck whoever you want and put on videos and do shows and be fucking. And the people who would tell you you can't do that, those, that is not the same as believing that an industry that commodifies and abuses women and others is bad. Yeah, I think that maybe part of what's happening right? is, um, sorry, my Internet's breaking up a little bit. I don't know what the fuck's going on here. Um so that let's go back to the beginning, right? You mentioned this uh, this term for was it some kind of deplatforming when you like consider someone in like an undesirable and you're like uh, epistemological. There you go. Uh, yeah. Everything they say, no, 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 no. Right. Well, right. I think that um, with like sex work and also with like that bodies thing you mentioned, like I noticed this yeah. this rang this bell a couple times in my head. The bodies thing. 
so that language is very academic and it's uh early on in like kind of the online uh left culture sphere being blown open by like chapo trap house and all that shit there was a really good episode of that show where they they talked about um ta-nehisi coats and they sort of like you know took down an article he'd written in the atlantic and the atlantic is you know full of crap it's uh often you know very liberal and misses the mark and stuff like that and so it became very popular to people for people to like make jokes about this bodies thing and you go oh, that's lib shit or whatever and i've noticed this like a lot of times when the people are just yelling at me on the internet who are deranged because they listen to podcasts and that's their entire fucking worldview and leftism or whatever you know if you say a thing that like exists in this lexicon for them as no no words or whatever yeah they go oh you're being a lib because you said this even though if you're not even though you're not saying it in the same way as was described on the thing where they got the fucking thing from right so like uh that's also happening i think probably in the reaction to um this rev left radio episode because it's i mean i understand why because the thing is evangelicals who are actually anti-woman will cloak that in being anti-sex industry when they come they're purposely using language that sounds one way but is the other so when you hear someone say there's anti-sex industry it sounds sometimes like that might be a red flag and might be an indicator that that person is anti-sex worker, but this is like a very confused case of language, right? Because you can't actually come along and be anti the industry without freaking everyone out and making them think, Holy shit, a fucking cop is here and they're going to arrest everyone. And they're here to do something really evil. Yeah. So it's important to like, maybe when you have these conversations, like really, really explain that or something. Totally. I mean, you might not fucking be able to, because they won't listen to the episode because you'll, you know, I know, but I guess that's kind of why I wanted us to hang on. talk about it because I also think it's important for, Oh, no, go ahead. I can hear you now. My fucking internet. Oh, you're sounding good to me, but maybe I'm cutting out to you. So maybe it's my internet. No, it's I mine. Know. I don't know. Oh, the wait, what were you saying? I already forgot. <laughs> I was talking about the epistemological uh, oh. the evangelicals. And shit. Yeah. Uh, well, this will probably remind me. But one of the things that you reminded me of while you were talking is that you kind of gave me another example, which actually is academia as being one of these like steps, not the ultimate goal. Right. Because, you know, what academia does is basically knowledge production. So it's like a bunch of people which are not just white people and then are not just upper middle class or rich people anymore. They exist in this world where they are just creating knowledge. They are writing books, making observations, developing new terminology, advancing theory. But the problem is that academia is closed and the knowledge they produce doesn't leave their elitist circle. Right. But when it does, that is when our society changes. So the the goals of academics are not in and of themselves worthy as like human, you know, like goals. But everything that they work towards is a step towards the liberation of the rest of us, especially as like things like the Internet and things like that provide us with more access to you know like Ty I don't know if this is gonna sound shitty Jake but like I fucking you know I'm definitely older than Ty I don't know her at all but like 
I am one of the suckers, I guess, of the generation where I did believe this idea of like, if I go to college, my life will work out and I'll be a liberated feminist and I'll fucking take care of myself and all this shit. That stuff worked out, but I'm also in a lot of fucking debt. And I got the action and the politicization (laughs) that again, still can't say, but it's a good one (laughs) that I'm happy to have, but that I had to like work really hard under the existing system instead of fighting it to get it. And then Ty is a person who like on Rev Left, she tells her story of how she like became a leftist. And she's a musician who was just like reading some fucking book. I don't even remember. And she went to a bar before a gig. And then the bartender was like, hey, if you're reading that, come back tomorrow and I've got a book for you. And then he gave her the red book. Right. And so then it's like, yeah. And then she she's like extremely knowledgeable about theory. And I'm like, holy shit, you have probably a better, I think, understanding and education than I do because the one that I received was like the hegemonic version. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where she went out and without a college education, she talks about this, I'm not judging, <laughs> uh, was able to get to the same ideas as me through community and through community learning and act- activism and organizing. Uh, But a lot of the terminology that she talks about, the books that she's reading, they came out of academia. You get me? So we might, you know, like I think a lot of times people will be like, oh, well, that's like an academic term where you're separated from the reality of people and whatever. But you need to stop thinking about academia as like the end all be all goal and more as like they produce knowledge for you as the people who live in the reality to then take in and fucking do with it what you want to do with it. Use those words to melodically deplatform anything that comes from academics as though they haven't contributed to all of our theoretics for the last 50 years or more. Yeah. No, I think that like um the the like tendency to antagonize academic academic like terms and stuff. I mean, I understand it because some of it is deeply out of touch. Um, there's yeah. definitely like a critique there, but it's also it's one of those like don't throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of things because like um, I talk like a fucking pretentious dickhead because I read a lot and so I get you know ten dollar words stuck in my vocabulary and stuff like that. And I get shit for this all the time, and it's like what am i using the term incorrectly or does it mean the wrong thing i mean people just like people i mean we're living in specifically in the online sphere we're living in a time when people are confusing their like reactionary resentment of some good things with um you know like a sort of uh uh every man you know salt of the earth like um, yeah springsteen song sort of like leftism populism or whatever and it's stupid we're supposed to be like friends you know we're supposed to have friends in the academy and on the ground in the fucking coal mine and all this um i am going to pause real quick because this thing is really fucking up i don't know what's going on with it okay i'll go pee Okay. Okay. So I feel a lot better that I got all of this out <laughs> and that it, I, I really thought that maybe some of it would even rub you the wrong way, but I'm glad that you saw where I was coming from and you are also agreeing with me. It sounds like. Yeah. I understand and, the distinction. I mean, I, I get, yeah. And where it's sensitive and I don't, I know where this brushes up against people's deeply held beliefs but I think it's like our job as progressives to constantly reassess our deeply held beliefs. 
and push them forward. I don't know. But anyway, as a closing thing, uh, during my readings, uh, one of the things that I found is like in a preface for uh, uh, Monique Wittig. I don't know if you ever read her. Monique Wittig is um, a French radical feminist. Uh, she's dead. <laughs> but she wrote, I think, in like the 70s or 80s. Maybe 70s. Um, and she was like a lesbian. I mean, definitely a lesbian, not like a lesbian. <laughs> she was a lesbian. And she wrote radical Marxist feminist stuff where she did like critiques of Marxism and pushed feminism to its most radical extremes, right? And um, it is an extremely, her work is extremely valuable and I recommend it to everyone. Uh, just like Marx, it is of its time and place. And so it doesn't mean everything 100% translates to today, but it, it, they are frameworks that are useful for you to incorporate into your thinking about today, right? But anyway, in an intro to one of Wittig's books or a book about Wittig's essays, um, this other writer, uh, Louise Turcott, I believe her name is, she wrote this thing about Wittig that really made me realize what kind of edgelord I am, Jake, <laughs> which was that she said that Wittig, uh, in claiming the lesbian point of view as the universal, she overturns concepts to which we are accustomed, right? So like, she wasn't, she's, if you read her, it is shocking to read her work because she says things like lesbians are not women, <laughs> you know, like she... <laughs> Uh, absolutely believes in the obliteration of the concept of woman in a mar in the Marxist sense. I see how this is you. <laughs> yes, and so you know she's not gentle or subtle or ladylike. And I feel like when I make the jokes that I make about trads or about breeding or about anything on Twitter, you know, I am not being the anthropologist who's being like measured and provides all of the caveats that you saw me or heard me provide today. I am being this kind of edgelord who believes that like by treating my point of view as universal, I'm going to shock you out of the concepts that you're accustomed to. And I only do this because I grew up in a world where being gentle and polite and ladylike never got me heard. Nobody ever listened to me. But when I was shocking and loud and rude about it, then suddenly people listened to me. And I don't really mean to hurt anyone with any of the things that I say, but I do mean to shock you out of the concepts that you held as like deeply held beliefs of truth. They really aren't. Yeah. The sex. And now that I have your attention. Uh, yeah. Not let's a talk thing. about feminism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. A, yeah, gender or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Well, I don't know. I mean, this is going to be a wild take on this entire thing we just talked about. <laughs> but uh, you just reminded me of something, which is that so I've been reading um, The Dawn of Everything, just the, mm -hmm. uh, the book that David Graeber wrote right like right before he died last year. Yeah. Um, it's this huge book. Are you a Graeber fan of this person? It's an anthropologist. I am. I haven't, re I haven't read that one, but I, I love others of his work. <sighs> they, the fucking people that made it sent me a copy, and I'm like... Ooh, share I, with me when you're done. I'm like, how do they know who I am? I think that they probably... <laughs> I, I I talked about a lot of the stuff that he's talking about when I did Duncan Trussell, so I think that's maybe where they heard it or something, and I'm like, wow, I'm very honored, and also, uh, you know, this is great. I'm totally <laughs> digging into this book. 
but you know he's an anarchist you know he's not a big marxist and i mean he's not an anti-marxist but marx is just kind of part of the equation for him and uh reading this book has been really interesting because it challenges a lot of stuff that i kind of had going on although i think i probably actually agreed with him more than anything um but what i'm getting at is you know you you're talking about all this stuff with the imperative being uh, moving along the historical materialist timeline towards progress, right? And so what he does in, uh, and also David Wengro, I think is the other guy who wrote it. I shouldn't leave him out. Everybody always leaves out the other guys that write <laughs> so It's very annoying. But, um, <laughs> but what he does in this book is so he kind of, destroys historical materialism in a sense given the inevitability and the timeline and the it moves one way thing and he does this yep. by starting off with uh the Hobbes versus Rousseau thing where so you know to retread some territory I know we've talked about on the podcast before I'm just going to go through it to set up what I'm talking about you know Hobbes uh was this guy who wrote Leviathan and he wrote that um you know civilization is good because before civilization life was nasty brutish and short and we were all fucking apes screaming and fighting at each other and i <laughs> you know uh conservative politics or you know whatever and so if you then, listen to this podcast you better not be pro hobbs right not, no we're not down with that yeah. Hobbs, hobbs is yeah. in you know what in the fucking new season of cobra kai the the guy who uh spoiler but he's a very well he's a very bad character from the whole entire thing there's an evil character and in a, a very subtle scene he is reading leviathan by thomas hobbs and it yeah. totally makes sense given the plot um also uh, yep. in fucking just as long as i'm talking about this in um uh uh blood and blood out um our favorite character is reading france fanon yes uh black faces white masks or white ma whatever white masks black faces is that the uh, one he's reading uh wretched of the earth I think wretched of the earth no, you're right. yeah. copies me. Mm -hmm. anyway anyway so hobbes right is uh life was nasty version short rousseau was uh of the opinion that actually primitive communism existed and every life was great before civilization came and then sort of cast us into this like it's described as like an original sin situation like um we took a bite of the apple and now we're and living, it was the end after that yeah yeah we're tragically conscious but you know, but the we, apple was agriculture, right? And that, that so his idea is that the advent yeah. of agriculture created the situation where now we have the state, and now we have like the bourgeois revolution, everything's yeah. like you know fucked. And but okay, so what happens is socialists, like the first socialists, come along and they sort of work off of uh, Rousseau's idea, and they're like, um, yeah, this all makes sense, and this leads into the idea of historical materialism which is that yeah we're stuck in phase two of the thing but eventually we get to phase three which has elements of the primitive communism which is in the first phase but we can never go back to it because that's not how fucking history works but yes. we get to something resembling it that's like a synthesis of these two things right and that's communism right well this book the dawn of everything he sort of goes through like why uh that's like a brazen assumption that isn't really based on anything because what it's based on what what the, what it's based on is like a very small spurious set of observations about like uh primates <laughs> yeah. like european yeah. uh -huh. the new world yeah. and then said 
oh, all primitive people are like this because I encountered one tribe that's like this. So they're all doing communism. So what this book does is it goes through a massive amount of observations and studies anthropologically about different tribes all over the world, different cities that have existed and stuff without states ostensibly and shit like that. And what he's saying in a lot of it is that um, actually there's no like historical timeline like you start off um you know without like a uh sort of state apparatus and then you grow into an authoritarian one which is kind of what even the socialists were arguing uh he points out that there's like all these tribes in indigenous you know parts of or uh, in in america in the american continent where indigenous native i'm not using the fucking right word but you know what i'm saying um sorry yell at me uh (laughs) but like there there were tribes who like throughout the year because of the changing seasons would shift from having like a chief to then not and stuff like that. And what he's saying is before like we reached, you know, globalization and um, the, you know, the conclusions of having these massive nation states and like, and capitalism being this thing that has its fucking everyone on planet earth and its clenches. He's saying before this, people would freely shift in between different types of societies and stuff. And actually what's happening is there is a historical timeline and it's that we went from being like mal or uh, fluid and changeable to being stuck to be static yeah. the way we are. And that's totally. where we are. And that it's kind of interesting because it goes, well, fuck. I mean, if, if, that just changed my perception of historical materialism to the extent that when I think about all the stuff we just talked about, I'm like, is there like, (sighs) no, but I think what you just said totally agrees with what I just said, because hear me out. Yeah, dude, because, okay. uh, Remember what I said at the beginning is like, okay, I think one of the problems and maybe I didn't say this clearly, but like one of the problems Marxists in general have is that, we want to accept historical materiality and like the historical process as like a thing that makes us right. It has power over us, but we do not acknowledge that we have power over that system as well. Right. Right. Or Marx, like we, famous Marx, quote is yeah. uh, man does not make his own destiny. Man makes his own destiny, but he doesn't make it as he pleases. Exactly. And, and I would disagree <laughs> because we can, right? But it's mean, not saying that you do make it. It's just you do. You, you yeah. in the historical materials timeline. Yeah. You work where you can and where from where you're at. And also exactly. the other thing is that like in Marx's writing, you know, the a, a foolish reading of it like the wrong reading is that this is just a guy describing how uh every like the world is progressing and you can sort of passively sit back and like observe like yeah he's right because it happens this way because of you know class society and stuff like it you're supposed in in reading it it becomes a thing that tells you in reading marxist theory it becomes a thing that tells you that it is inevitable sort of that we change and and you know make a revolution but it is by like understanding this that you then go do the revolution. So it, yes, you, you can't like Benjamin, Benjamin talked about this too. Like you, yes. can't, you could, if we don't all do it, then we, this is just a bunch of fancy fucking words. And like, you can a uh, pa- passivity. Yeah. Marxism is incorrect because if everyone was passive about it, then it would be proven in untrue. Like it wouldn't. Fucking yeah. Happen, right. Exactly, dude. Look, the only way that the Hobbes and Rousseau debate really matter 
is whether you choose to believe one or the other. Well, that's that's the distinction that I made when I fucking talked about um, this on Duncan Trussell. I went back and re-listened to what I said on that to make sure yeah. that I'm not like contradicting myself all over the place or whatever. Yeah, and which what, you could and you could reassess. Sorry, sure. go ahead. <laughs> but I, I was wondering how much I disagreed with David Graeber when I was reading this book. Yeah. Or whatever. And actually, I don't think I do because what, mm-hmm. what I've said about this is so the important thing to to understand about the Hobbes versus versus so debate is not that one is right and one is wrong. It's that Hobbes. Which one do you believe in? Hobbes yeah. and Hobbes is the dominant narrative in Western society because yes. qui bono, who benefits, right? Exactly. So capitalists benefit from the Hobbesian narrative mm-hmm. uh, because it implies that the market is natural and that we're yep. simply living in a fucking human version of the animals all killing each other and stuff like that. Yep. And it's an inevitability. That doesn't because we understand that's bullshit, that doesn't mean flip it over. Now Rousseau is true hundred percent of the time. Yeah. It means that exactly. things are true. But what it does mean is that we actually don't need a historical timeline that proves human communism or human goodness was natural or or existed before. It has just been shown as a possibility. And we, because we are, we also make our historical reality and our historical materialism, we can work towards making that version of reality real in the same way that fucking capitalists work to make Hobbes' version fucking real. You know what I mean? It didn't happen accidentally. They fucking did a lot of policy and murder and like a lot of shit to make it fucking happen. But um, this thing, uh, I guess just to say like for Wittig's work, because it's kind of also related to what I think Graeber would say, which is, you know, I told you that Wittig was a lesbian and whatever. And like, so when you read her work and because she is like dramatically rude about making her point of view, the universal point of view on the surface, it may look like she's just like this radical lesbian who's trying to make the whole thing about lesbians. But in reality, you know, uh, what the people who write about her have to say is that she is really about making use of our strategic position to destroy the systems that oppress us. And I think that is the key thing that was making me mad. And that I think Graeber would agree with is that it's not dude. Like even Marxism, it is not about going back to recreate some 1900s version of whatever he thought was a utopia. It's never about going back to anything. It's about you always acknowledging the people who moved us forward, whether it's a theorist, whether it's a trans person, whether it's a sex worker, all the people, whether honestly, whether it's a lib uh, feminist who wants to give women the right to vote, they also affected us positively and moved things forward. Right. So this. The frustration for me is the idea, the selfish idea that achieving the small business for yourself or femininity for yourself or having babies for yourself or like whatever, any of these things or being your own sex worker boss or any of these things are actually liberating. They're liberating maybe to you personally, but they are not liberating to our community. They're not liberating to humanity at what like forward. So it's a version of pulling the ladder up behind you. You get me? Instead of, using your strategic position to destroy the systems that oppress you. That's the thing that made me mad this month, week, year, <laughs> all my life. 
Do you think though that like um because sex that elective sex work is like very similar actually to being a comedian and that yeah you are the boss and the employee you and that if you are and and that if you're come if you come from a particular class it is easier and it you get to kind of cosplay as to to having the same experience as like a survival sex worker and it's not the same you know like yeah i know the same way comedians often yeah. try to tell you that they're survival comedians which is yeah a fucking thing like because survival comedians also deliver food or have a day job you know like yeah, yeah that it's yeah uh insane but like what i'm saying is like because um because you know you're not employing a bu- i'm not employing a bunch of smaller comedians below me some comedians do that but i'm not yeah. uh, you're not abusing labor yeah well i guess what you're i'm not asking, a, you're not a pimp <laughs> yeah not a common yeah. pimp i'm not running a fucking podcast network or whatever or know. a bringer yeah yeah um what i'm saying is do you think it is possible to like be living this life and simultaneously in other ways be revolutionary uh because what do you mean by this life well like you know being an elective sex worker at to make money to survive or like me being a comedian and i do you know i do jake okay so i would say that both uh you and the elective sex worker are doing the work of moving us forward because you are using your position of privilege in some ways right because you have some privilege in like not depending on comedy to be your everything financially. So it gives you freedom in some ways. Yeah. Elective sex workers have a privilege of like having a family they can fall back on all these, or like a college degree, whatever, all these other things they could deal with. And instead they choose to do this, but you are using your privilege to forward the position of people who are doing this for survival. Right but only if you are actually conscious of that and speaking to it. So like, I think you are conscious of that and you speak to it. I think that like a lot of the elective sex workers we know are stuck in the girl boss era of it, of like still believing that it is like empowering for the sake of itself. They're all over the place. I mean, there's a lot of. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's mainly why I bring it up is because I want you to understand I'm not against you, but you need to understand that it's not just about you and that you also need to be bought into what the rest of the people in your category experience in the same way that I think you're bought into what the rest of the people in your category of comedian experience. You don't pretend that their reality is not reality. Yeah. Right. Uh, You don't pretend that it is empowering to do comedy the way that you do. You recognize the pitfalls and the parts that actually are empowering to you compared to the people that follow the traditional industry path. Right. Right. I'm not not equating privilege. And people that work, which is, I guess, the exactly. Yeah. Survival thing. Exactly, exactly. And um, so I think, so I guess to answer your question, an elective sex worker can do things the way that you do them if you are being honest with yourself and others about the way that your reality and your experience of the industry is not the same for everyone. And it's not like blanket one way, good or bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think this all tracks. I mean, 
I'm, I mean, I'm way less mad now. <laughs> now that I got it all out. I had a couple drinks. You heard me out. I didn't make you mad, which is mainly my main concern. I made you mad last week. And last week, I think it was mainly like, I don't think we disagree with each other. I think we were like arguing around each other, but I also didn't really listen to it because I didn't want to get mad again. So well, that was two weeks ago. Last <laughs> week. We talked about fucking privileged comedians and shit. Oh, that's right. Yes. We got, oh yeah. Last week I listened to you complain about what made you mad. This week was my turn. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for listening to me. That's kind of why I was like, now you go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I love it. It was perfect. Yeah. Uh, this is why you're my best pod buddy. Uh, and I think why people listen, because I don't think either one of us is ever like perfect or super right. We are just doing our best to be honest with ourselves and each other and like, I don't know, have good conversations where we not hold each other accountable, but like present different points of view to each other and therefore make the reassessment of our deeply held beliefs like a regular thing, not a surprise, you know? Yeah, man, it's difficult. Like you don't want to have your head in the ground and be in an echo chamber. We also don't want to like overdo it and get yeah. completely alienated from your friends and shit over stuff. Totally. And I'm not... And I think that's partially what I was going through for the last few weeks is like, I think I inadvertently hurt people's feelings and I, re I really wasn't trying to, but I, you know, from what everything you heard <laughs> for the last hour, hour and a half, I don't know how long this has been going. Uh, I have been thinking about these things genuinely and, they, and it is not in a way that is anti any particular person or anti-human in any way but there are concerns and conflicts that I think we all need to surface and confront. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard the podcast that you were talking about, but maybe I'll go listen to it and I'll like, listen to it. It's good. What if I change my mind and I'm like, you're insane. And <laughs> <laughs> Next week you can come back and call me a turf and I'll apologize <laughs> and uh, we'll try to make up for it. But um, I guess if you got mad, write us an email. Definitely. I don't know. If you disagree, let's talk it out. We'd love to read the emails. I, even when I am mean and mad about feedback, I really am not. I take it in and I think about it for days and weeks on end and I consider it. And I'm always reassessing my deeply held beliefs. That's all I could say. Uh, so I don't want anyone to think I'm mad at them or annoyed by them, but that is what a human interaction is like. It's like a back and forth, man. We always have to be like pushing at each other's boundaries and walls while defining our boundaries and walls very clearly. I know it's very confusing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, what does it, is this dialectics? I feel like I'm using I think so. for everything, but it also kind of applies to everything. I know. I don't know. I know. Well, uh, plug some shit. I don't have anything. I'm just going to tell people to email us or join our Patreon at whyyoumadpod at gmail.com, patreon.com slash whyyoumad. What do you want to plug, Jake? You get a monthly show coming up? Yep, 15th, this coming Tuesday. Meet Space at the Gutter in Greenpoint slash Williamsburg at 9 p.m. Um, I'll put the yeah. ticket link in the notes. Thanks for coming so out. fun. You should go if you're in the city. It's a great hang. 
I got good comics and stuff. That's it. Um, other shows, Pod Damn America. My handle is Feral Jokes on everything, and I'm going on tour with Eve Six. You know all this stuff. It's all on my pin tweet and all my Twitter. Pin tweet. Uh, that's it. I think. Bye. Bye.